Good morning. It's time for Awaken with Dr. Joe and Mark Hullcraft. Awaken airs the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with the Executive Director of Real Presence Radio, Mark Hullcraft, and his brother, Dr. Joe Hullcraft, Professor and Director of the High Calling Program at the Avila Institute. Together with a mix of national and local personalities, connecting examples in church history, contemporary relevance, and lively witness of the saints, Mark and Joe will share how the Holy Spirit is working to awaken in all of us a deeper sense of what we are made for, a life in Christ. yourself in us. Give us courage to dive deep into those waters of faith. Stir in us a deeper desire to know you and to love you in the Eucharist and to be known by you and loved by you. Lord, we pray that you would draw us into that deep gaze with your Son and that we would not turn away in shame to gaze upon your son, but allow ourselves to be be changed, to be renewed. All these things that we speak of within this revival, make our hearts like yours, Lord. Blessed Mother Mary, we ask for your intercession. Please draw us closer to your son in all ways and all things. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And St. Manuel, pray for us. Pray for us. And we'll discuss him. No, no hidden secrets on that one. That's going to be our saint of the day later in this episode. St. Manuel Gonzalez. Honestly, you guys, a person I've never heard of until Father Vasek dropped his name to me just recently and he shared a couple of things and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> a priest for our times. I mean, it, so some, some wisdom and thanks be to God, people paying attention with our saints of like who we're lifting up during this Eucharistic revival. So what well, father Craig, I know you threw down some great thoughts as we were looking ahead to this morning. Um, and so I, I want to get into a little bit of that, but as you know, you, you were, uh, this is a part two. What I want to kind of do to capture, because I think this has been a bit of a fallback. It, we, Joe and I brought it up in our last episode, and it'd be a bit of a fallback throughout this morning. I'd like to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, but then I'd like to uh, hear from you, Father Craig, as you dive into the, the, the charisma, excuse me, charismatic proclamation of the Eucharist. What does that mean? Like, so we want today to be a deeper dive into this revival because I think a lot of people are hearing about the revival and they hear gloss overs. I know we've had a lot of discussion around it and different aspects of it uh, regarding In Real Presence Radio, Unreal Presence Live, uh, a little bit within Awaken and some of our other programming. Uh, and of course, some of the programming with EWTN, there's been some great uh, airtime put to the revival, but I think there's an opportunity for us to dig a little deeper. Um, I'm going to draw from John chapter 6, 60 to 68. Then many of his disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the spirit that gives life. While the flesh is of no avail, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that I, that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the 12, do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Okay, so I went to 69. <laughs> um, yeah. But this, this really opens the door of, you know, this is coming off the heels of Jesus' bread of life discourse. And this is kind of bringing that to an end. Potent, after just spending, I think, in four different ways, he said, I am the bread of life. So while I understand this isn't necessarily the kerygma, but uh, Father Vasek, can you just dig into that a little bit? Um, whether you want to start with it, pulling in that scripture or if you want to just jive right into charismatic proclamation, what's that mean for the revival? Sure. Well, the immediate word that stands out is murmur, so I'm going to come back to that. When we go back to Exodus, this is what the people were doing <laughs> when they come through, uh, coming out of Egypt, is they're murmuring and complaining, and Jesus comes back to this murmuring that they're doing. So it's really harkening back to that uh, Exodus experience. But uh, what I want to start with, actually, on this is the saying is hard, who can accept it, uh, and this idea of belief. And um, what I, this is my opinion, and I would love to hear from you guys what you think about this. But when people uh, say that they believe that um, the Word became flesh in John chapter 1, that the Word became flesh, the infinite, eternal, um, ineffable God, whatever non-word you want to use, like He is not able to be seen, not able to be known, not able to be whatever, all these different words, uh, not able to be contained, not able to be limited by time, not able, all these different things that God is, we say that He is not these things, right? When we say that that God, who is so beyond all things, became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, that is that is an exquisite thing for us to have to believe. I mean, that is hard <laughs> to have to believe that, that the uncontainable God is now contained in a six-foot uh, man. You know, I'm, and I'm using loose, non-theological words just to kind of grasp this, right? Yeah. This is absurd. This is absurd. This is shocking. This is, I mean, this is what uh, is a stumbling block to the Jews and absurdity to the Gentiles. This is what the Scripture says, right? Like, this is, this is dumb. Like, you Christians, this can't be, you know? Every Christian believes it. <laughs> That's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, there's a number of things, right? You have to believe in the Trinity. You believe that God became man in the in the person of Jesus Christ. That the that the Word assumed a human nature. Okay, however technically you want to get up. This is so absurd. It's so hard to believe, and and yet we profess it. We believe it. So we have been given a great gift of faith to be able to believe. Okay, so this is my point, and I always start with this with people, because they're like, well, I, I don't really think God could go into the Eucharist. Like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> you believe that the uncontainable Godhead can walk around in a six-foot uh, human person, right? Uh, uh, human nature. Yes, we do believe that. Okay, what's harder, to believe that that which cannot be contained is now contained in six feet, uh, substance, or that if the uncontainable 
sustainable somehow makes himself contained in a six foot substance that he can compress that into two or three inches. Like it's just a squishing of size. And this is again very loose, just to get the point across, right? Uh, if he can squish from six feet down to three inches, that's much less crazy to, to believe than um, that the infinite, uncontainable God somehow is walking around in a, in a human container. You know, and again, very loose. But this is where I start because people they get hung up on this uh, this thing. Uh, about how could God come into the universe? How could God come into a human body? It's absurdity to the Gentiles. You know, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. But yet we believe it. So if we can believe that, why can't we believe something that just takes us maybe a little bit further, but not not a whole lot further? So anyway, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, guys. Well, and Joe, I want to hear from you. I, you know, the visual that comes to mind, of Father Craig, um, there's kind of been a, a new nuance in movies. You know, sometimes in movies you have this whole panorama, you come back, and then it zeroes in and focuses in on what the closer scene is. But in the last decade, what we've seen is a lot of movies and TV shows will start on the close-up, and then they pull back, and you get the full panoramic, and you see, like, oh, what's that one piece of the story? Now you start to see the bigger picture of how it unfolds. Mm-hmm. I love how you just did that. You know, you, you kind of did that. You kind of pulled back on what we see in the Eucharist, what we see in the, the physical limitations of our own eyes and senses, you know, and so, and that's, I think, where a lot of our people start. A lot of the faithful, you know, start, or faithful, those who are struggling, you, you refer to that gift of faith. But you did a pullback, and you went back to the beginning of time with a God of all creation so big, so that our words are not suitable to describe how big our God is. And you just pulled back. That was, that was awesome. That was glorious. Joe, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thank you for that reflection. Father Vasek, uh, and it's it's great to have you with us. By the way, <laughs> chance to say hello. Yeah, you know you, you're you're applying to reason, no doubt there, Father Vasek, and it, and it is a, a beautiful point to be had. And as I listen to you, and as I engage this text, there's a certain sense of applying reason, the need to um, work through. The logic of of what you laid out for us, which was beautiful, to get us to a point of saying, "Okay, look, this isn't so irrational as we we initially thought, right?" Because when you move from something so grand as this ineffable God, as you speak to it, to this man now sitting, you know, this man we know who's six feet tall, roughly or thereabouts, right? To now there he is in the Eucharist, you know, in this in this very small host. Yeah, that makes sense. As I reflect upon that, I go to I go back to that text in John six and the 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 Jews among them, murmuring, talking. Listen to this insanity. Listen to this insanity. This is barbaric imagery, right? And not only the Jews, members from the Sanhedrin, you know for sure but those who knew him intimately, right? So as we apply to our sense of reason, as we need to, to do this, and we, we need to be able to, to think this through, that, yeah, this is actually conceivable. There's still an element in this that is difficult. It demands so much faith. And this is why, of course, our faith itself is caught up in the great cross beams and girders of faith and reason that we have reason and yet he still inside of this reason invites us to this place of faith 
to, to believe something that yet, while we can conceive it as to be true in mind and heart, it still invites us into a place of the unknown, right? And, and I think that that's what's so beautiful and at the same time exciting, right? That in the end, as we talk about Christianity as this great adventure, this great adventure of, of moving from the known to the unknown and back to the known, we can come to, to grapple with the idea that, yeah, you wanna know what? There's more to be had that only this will satisfy me. You know, I, I've been in conversations, guys, these past few days where there, there's a, I hear it in the voices that are reaching out to me. I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not satisfied. Well, my, my pitch to them is, are, are you going to daily mass? Are you praying? Or are you doing the things necessary to have that thirst satisfied? And, and in each conversation, it, it went down that path of, no, I'm not, and, and now they are. But to the point that I made with them, and, and that I want to make to, to you today and to all of our listening audiences, that in the end, if we are going to have our thirst satisfied, if, if, if we are going to have that hunger Right. If, if we're going to meet our hunger, then we have to un- enter into this mystery of the unknown and understand it as a sense of adventure. Right. That, that God is going to reveal himself more and more and more and more. And it starts with the Eucharist. It starts with no doubt the gift of faith that has been given to us. And at the same time, reasoning through that. Yeah. As you just did so beautifully, Father Craig, you know what? This is, this is something that's true. You know, it was a, Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, what if it's all true, right? <laughs> Let's ask, what if it's all true? We know it is. What does that mean for us? And what kind of trajectory then does that have for our life? Does this, if we believe what is true, if, if we believe that God in all of his magnificence not only was, became flesh and dwelt among us, but is also truly present in the Eucharist. What does that mean for us? How does that change our lives? Do we live our, do, does our life reflect what we believe? I think this is really, uh, in the end, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Father Vazic, but uh, the, the consequence of this Eucharistic re- revival, don't we want to come to this end point of saying, okay, here we are, we believe in the true presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are now more devoted souls. And the consequence of this belief, the consequence of this devotion, this, the, the consequence of meditating in and through faith and reason upon the great gift that is the Eucharist is a life that has changed, is a heart that has changed. And as I know we're going to get into later in this program, <laughs> that which leads to neighborhoods and 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 the communities and world changing. Joe, we got we to take a break right here, but I love in the questions that you're asking. And Father Vosk, I'm looking forward to even, not only hearing your response, but how we're gonna dig deeper into this. So stay with us on Awaken this Wednesday morning. Don't go any. Loaded, <laughs> loaded, uh, which is no surprise. Guys, good stuff. <laughs> Father Vosk, can you still hear us okay? Yep. Awesome. Um, there's no way we're going to be able to dig into all that was is on this schedule, which it really isn't a surprise for me. 
No, I haven't started the charismatic proclamation. Right. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. The first bullet. <laughs> so. Um, but I want to get into the charismatic proclamation. Actually, I think that I think that might be. Uh, let, let's do that because that might be the most important thing within here. Um, I think it is. So let, let's let's dig into that, <clears throat> which I think, in general, um, in not a surprise here, but I would guess we're not going to be really give, digging into some of the preconciliar, conciliar, postconciliar conversation, um, unless Father Vosick, if if you see a moment where it ties it ties in loosely, just kind of giving it a head nod, but at the same time, I don't want to force it. The main thing there is um, just bringing everybody into a, like what the current practice of the church is. So there's like on the extremes, right? There's the person who says the bishops should have never allowed people to receive holy communion on the hand. Yeah. Okay. You can have that opinion, but you can't. Uh, the current practices that the bishops have, you know. So don't yell at people. Don't yell at pastors. You have to start your conversation with the bishop, you know, or whatever. Or the person who says, "Well, we can't receive holy communion on the tongue." Uh, anymore because Second Vatican Council changed it. Well, no, it didn't. You know, so like there's these people that just aren't holding what our practices um, that I think become troublesome, and that's that's just one small example, but yep. it, it goes through deeper thoughts. And I think it's like people just need to be brought into like what's real, like what where are we really at here? You can want us to be somewhere else, but where are we really at? <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of frustrations, a lot of pains and parishes uh, go around those kinds of things. I mean, it's really nitpicky, but it's it's those kinds of things oh. are. It's real. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Welcome back to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Now back to more lively, faith-filled conversation with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. You are joining Mark Holcraft with Dr. Joe Holcraft and Father Craig Vosick this morning on Awaken. We're discussing Eucharistic Revival Part 2. And... In our opening comments, we discussed the charismatic proclamation, and yet we never really got to it. So uh, we're going to get to that now. And so, Father Vasek, um, because and this is the danger, there's such there's great conversation, there's holy conversation, there's so much we can unveil on this. Um, and we knew this when we talked a couple months ago, like, hey, what if we did a five-parter? And we're squeezing it into a two-parter, you know? And so um, let's let's dig into that, huh? Great, great. So uh, in response to what Dr. Holcraft said, uh, yes, we want uh, faith to grow, to increase, and for people to be so committed to what they are believing that it moves them uh, out into the community. I mean, this is the point. So uh, what we're talking about, and you guys mentioned it last week, uh, a living relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. I mean, this is what we're talking about with the, with the revival. But what does it mean? Like, there's a reason why we're call- doing this, right? A living relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Well, what's going on there? We're talking about, I need to know Him. Like, people can say, I totally believe in the Eucharist, and they might still think that the Eucharist is simply a thing. Well, that's not really believing in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is not a thing. The Eucharist is a person, a living person who rose from the dead, right? Uh, That's who the Eucharist is. And so when people are like, I totally believe what the Eucharist is, it's a thing. (laughs) It's like, okay, let's... We need to come into a living relationship, right? And I'm not trying to dismiss anybody who has a beautiful living relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist, but this happens. You guys were talking about it last week. Who do you say that I am? You know, that's that's your uh, conversation a couple weeks ago. Who do you say that I am? This is Jesus calling out from the Blessed Sacrament saying, Who do you say that I am? (laughs) It's like, 
we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God who died and rose from the dead. You're glorified at the right hand of the Father, and you're manifesting your heavenly presence on the altar. That's actually what we believe. I mean, like, this is incredible, right? So the charismatic proclamation that we were asked to do as um, preachers was to go around and to articulate who, who, where were we? You know, the fall, the good creation and the fall of humanity. Okay, where were we? And what has Jesus done to repair that? He brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through the sacrificial death on the cross, and uh, otherwise the gates of heaven were closed for us. We were lost and without hope in the world, Ephesians says, right? So that's where we were, and what did he do? Well, what he did, did to change that was he died. I mean, Romans chapter 5 talks about this over and over again. Uh, he died for those who were ungodly. He died for those who were helpless. He died for those who were sinners. He died for those who were enemies. And those are the four dramatic words that he uses in, in Romans. Helpless, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. That's where we were. <laughs> and we need to understand that. I mean, if we don't fully appreciate that, then we're not going to know what he's done for us. I was lost. I was a sinner. I'm a redeemed sinner now. Huh? I was helpless. I was ungodly. And I was an enemy. <laughs> I do not want to have to deal with that. But it's what I was, right? And he has done something to change that. And each time, three or four times in Romans 5, uh, Paul says, he died. <laughs> and, and maybe someone will die for, the, for a good person, but in this was the love of God proven to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, to bring us back to life. This is what he did for us. He died for me, so that my lost, hopeless, sinful enemyness could be changed. And then he rose from the dead, bringing me with him into a new life. This is what he's done for me. And this man is alive. And so this is the first part of the proclamation, is to repropose the fact that I have a Savior who historically died on a cross, rose from the dead, and brought me from death to life. If I would enter into that covenant, if I would embrace that covenant with liveliness, then I would have a new life. I would be born again. You know, these things that people are like, well, that sounds kind of Protestant. No, it's biblical. And if we've lost mm -hmm. our biblical story, then we need to regain it because the Catholic Church wrote it. We wrote the Bible. The apostles were the first Catholics, and they wrote the Bible. This is our story, you know? And if we somehow give it over to someone else, well, no, that's their story. No, this is our story. He died and he rose for me, you know? And this is uh, a story we're meant to share. And, I, and f so, Father, I want to, I want because there's a, there's a, as you were talking, and it, it's the heart of the proclamation. It is the heart of our faith, yep. what you just shared and explained. And so what's the almost the next thing that we wrestle with is the question of, you know, we're helpless, ungodly, we're sinners, and we're an enemy of God, and yet we're redeemed. Well, how? I mean, there's such a mindset out there. Well, how do I gain that back? And there's a sense of how do I earn it? One, two, I'm not worthy of that. And we get stuck. We get stuck there. We get stuck in our sin. And Father, I, I'm going to jump to Joe quick. So Joe, speak to that a little bit, if you could, because this is all, this is really tied into the Eucharistic revival. It's really, it's the heart of the revival. It's, you know, as you, Father Craig was saying, this is our story. This is my story. And of course, I go back to the shadow of Goonies. This is my time down here. You know, <laughs> this is our time down here. This is our story. And yet we were never meant to hold it just for ourselves, but to share it. Joe, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so our Lord proclaims this truth as Father Craig was getting into there. And so then how we how do we receive this? 
right? Re repent and believe th this great news. Repent and believe this, this message that actually transforms. You know, that the gospel, the evangelion, as, as many of our listeners may know, you know, this is a word that was pulled in antiquity from, from common language in the Roman Empire, right? Where, where the, the Caesar would go to the balcony and he would have an, an evangelion, a transforming message, but that was just only transforming for those who would appease, right? No, in this case, the, <laughs> the, the incarnate evangelion is saying, my message, it actually transforms if you allow it uh, in your heart, right? if you receive it in your heart. And so how do you do this? What do you do? Well, you repent. Right? Do you repent the metanoia, this this beautiful truth that lies at the heart of the gospel, which means we have to say, we have to recognize that we are sinners. I've got to believe, I've got to imagine, Father Craig, that part of what you're dealing with out there as you're going from one parish to another, at least um, in parish missions I've done, it comes up quite a bit. You know, this this wrestling that a lot of people have with the fact that, well, they actually sin. The first epistle of John makes it very clear, right? <laughs> we are all sinners. And once we accept that reality, a reality that we profess, by the way, every time we go to Mass during the penitential rite, right, we're sinners. We need God's mercy. What is God's mercy if we don't sin? What's the point of God's mercy? We need God's mercy. We need to receive that love, that unconditional love. And of course, we do this beautifully in the Eucharist, right? Uh, not to get too far ahead of us, but when Jesus says, this is my body, which has been given for you, he does not say, this is my body, you know, translated in the Greeks. It's it's not sarks, as in like flesh. It, it, the, the Greek employed there is soma. It's, it's, it's my body. It's my whole body. It's my whole self, my heart, mind, body, soul, spirit. I give all of this to you. This is the unconditional love that is streaming through our hearts and veins. And this is what we need to receive to allow um, ourselves to be truly transformed. And um, so if we are uh, contrite for our sin, resolved to change, we will abide in the God who is living and the God who is living. So as Father Craig is beautifully explaining what it lies at the heart of, of the gospel, what lies at the heart of the kerygma, ultimately on the other side of this is the need for us to receive. You know, uh, St. John Paul II once beautifully said in a Wednesday audience, if we can just meditate upon the word acceptance, because acceptance becomes really the threshold to conversion, accepting in faith the reality that yes, God is living, this magnificent God <laughs> who is now, be, you know, before us as a six foot man, but no, even more so in this small host. That is an unbelievable thing to believe. But man, if if I if I if I've only said it once, it, it would it would never be enough. That when you talk about the God who is living, we have to embrace the reality that everything we're talking about dwells in the sacrament of poverty. That this poverty, that is God in the Eucharist, is being communicated to us. That we might be attention, uh, be attentive to our own poverties, and we can allow that communication to take place from God to us, from Jesus to us, in an intimate relationship, that we might begin to see that, yes, I am nothing without him. And that although it might not make sense to me, the reality is, if we do apply faith and reason, we can begin to grapple with the God who is living, that 
for everything that Paul said. It is true. And if we can accept this as it is true and alive and just not in the abstract, but in a person, right? the person of Jesus Christ, the God man, this is transformative, but we need to embrace and we need to accept and we need to um, confess our sins and, and, and let him invade our hearts uh, through and through. Well, Joe, you, you just, you're laying down some of the groundwork, I think, with Father Vasek of how do we situate this in the sacramental life? And it's not that we have to go out of our way to make this happen, but the wisdom of the church over the years does situate this in the sacramental life. And really, Joe, you kind of answered that, that question that I put out there to both of you of, you know, just that wrestling with, well, I'm not worthy of this. Well, in one sense, you're right. And, and if a person doesn't, we're not worthy of it. And yet it is God's love that not only makes us worthy, but calls us out of this mire, this sin, this darkness, uh, because we are worthy. Because in the beginning, we were made in his image. And it is, uh, we are worthy. We got just a few minutes before our next break. Um, so let's situate this a little bit into the sacramental life in three minutes, huh? <laughs> so, uh, Father Craig, can you dig into that some? Yeah, we'll do it real quick. So we are lost, helpless, ungodly, and enemies. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ is the fountain of every sacrament. The cross of Christ is the fountain of every sacrament. Every single sacrament comes from the cross. So what happens uh, in holy baptism, the blood that he shed, the blood that he shed to redeem me uh, is applied to me. And so I was lost, ungodly, helpless, and a sinner, and now all of that is washed away, and I'm now uh, a member of the family of God through baptism. I mean, this is incredible. It's always faith and whatever the thing is, right? Faith and baptism, right? Um, so baptism does that. And so all of a sudden, all of this, all of this past stuff is now uh, taken away because now there's a new present, and I'm, I'm in the family of God. And then if I ever fall from that, the, the sacrament of reconciliation is a washing in his blood again. It's a return to his blood to be washed again, to be restored to baptismal grace. That's what the sacramental life is there. Then, to get to this point about unworthiness that you, you both have mentioned here, uh, I'm not worthy. This is exactly, I, I, I can't stay on this long enough. It's my third part of Mass, but I'll do it in a minute. Um, <laughs> the, at the very moment before we receive Holy Communion, and this is just going to be a, a focus in, and then you can broaden it back out to the entire mystery of the Eucharist. At the very moment before we receive Holy Communion, the priest has two Bible passages, and then the faith will say one Bible passage. It's all Bible. Uh, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. That's John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the one whose blood was shed, that we are going to be eating his flesh from Exodus, all this, you know, Old Testament into the New Testament. Behold him. John was pointing him out, and now the priest is pointing him out. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And then then the priest stops with John 1, 29, and fast-forwards to Revelation chapter 19. Blessed are those called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, the eschatological banquet that you guys were talking about last week and whatnot, the eschatological banquet is now being cited from Revelation chapter 19. Blessed are those called to the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is the bride, the washed black bride who has put on her white garment. This is holy baptism making us into the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and then now we are invited to the supper of the Lamb. So the priest does this, connecting the Lamb in both spots, two Bible passages, and then the faithful, this is the point you guys are making about, well, yeah, but I'm unworthy, aren't I? But, like, what's going on, right? This is from the centurion in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Jesus, uh, I I have a guy who's dying at my house, and uh, I need you to say the word heal him. And Jesus like, okay, yeah, I'll come over there. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, to come into my roof. So if you could just say the word, that'd be great. So he's 
humble, recognizing his unworthiness. I'm not worthy for this to happen. But he's also confident. I know that you can. You know, I'm not worthy, but I know that you can. And the church puts that on the lips of the believer for their disposition as they are invited to the altar. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and I shall be healed. So this is the sacrament of life, the Eucharist. We are totally unworthy, but he makes us worthy, and he says it by his word, and so we have confidence. Even in our humility, we have confidence. So a couple of days ago, I had a chance to spend a very pleasant evening with Bishop Kagan. I should say he spent it with a number of us for a benefit banquet. And in his opening comments to the banquet before prayer, he talked about really the new evangelization, and he he was reflecting a conversation he had with the gentleman. But the heart of the conversation, the heart of evangelization, and he referred to specifically the new evangelization, is we are no longer talking about a what. It's not a what. It never was a what. It's a who, and it's Jesus Christ. And this is this is the heart of, you know, he was referring to new evangelization, but this is what we're talking about this morning. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking, um, my name is Mark Holcraft, talking with Dr. Joe Holcraft and Father Craig Vosick. And in a moment, we got to jump into a break, but I just kind of want to synthesize. There's so much happening in this conversation. It's been a beautiful conversation with you guys this morning. And I hope for those tuning in that they'd be inclined to want to tune in again, and they can tune in again. Just go to the website, realpresenceradio.com. Go to the podcast, Awaken Episode 36, and any of the Awaken episodes. But in particular, Episode 35 and 36 are as a part one and two of this Eucharistic Revival discussion. Uh, Father Craig and Joe, stay with us through the break. So much more to be had with just about 20 minutes left of this morning's episode. Loving it. Stay with us. You guys, thank you. I'm just just making a couple of connections here. This is awesome. Um, yeah, this is this has been fun. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking we are not even scratching the surface right now. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, seriously, because there's there's things popping in my mind everywhere, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just waiting to yeah. all this stuff. This is just not even. Yeah. You know, I'm just. I'm. Yeah. I'm sorry for being so simple right now, but at this morning I'm just okay. I, I just need to make sure I'm staying simple, otherwise I'm going to be chasing all sorts of rabbits in the in the hole. Well, <laughs> always, always the danger, always the danger. But I, yeah. I think when we come back, if we can close out the conversation regarding the sacramental life, um, and uh. Father, I think it would be really good. I do want us to dig into St. Manuel. You know, um, I think it would just be great to kind of, and maybe some of our listeners, maybe more of our listeners have heard of him. Um, but I think it'd be great for us to uh, bring it, draw attention to him and his story. Um, in particular, I, I was looking at um, an initial quote that he had that you referred to a little bit yesterday, Father, when we were talking, but... Um, when he first arrived at the parish, and it was just a mess, and he his quote of my faith was looking at Jesus at the door of that tabernacle, so silent, so patient, so good, gazing right back at me. Um, I, maybe I don't know that I have to read it, but it was I just thought it was potent. But if we can yeah. wrap up the conversation regarding situating it into the sacramental life, and then dig into Saint Manuel, does that sound okay, guys? Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know, Mark, if I made the point 
last week or if I made it recently, but something that just has been on my heart is why St. Francis spoke about poverty the way he did. Thanks for starting your day with us. Now, back to more Awaken, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Welcome back to Awaken. I am Mark Holcraft, joined by Dr. Joe Holcraft and Father Craig Vosick. And just before the break, uh, both Joe and Father Vosick were, were starting to tap in a little bit into, you know, in a certain sense, situating this Eucharistic kerygma, well, the kerygma of the faith, into the sacramental life, in particular, the Holy Eucharist. Um, but before we jump back into that, um, Joe, you just you alluded before the break, you talked about seeing this almost through a lens of poverty. And I don't know if, if you want to just even wrap that thought up, because, I mean, again, yeah. without chasing that rabbit down the hole, as, as you mentioned briefly over the break, um, yeah. you know, if you want to just wrap that up before we yeah, dive into I, this. And- Sure, and I know we're going to be talking about a, a saint here, but but might I draw a little bit from St. Francis of Assisi to um, just crystallize a point we're discussing. You know, as, as many of our listeners know, St. Francis of Assisi um, had this relationship with God that was so unique. Um, and on a level, it was very much communicated to the way in which he um, appreciated um, creation f- for for what it was, right? Um, God's first love letter to man. And so everything was brother and sister. There were two things, right? Two things that were lady in his life. And by elevating these realities from uh, sister to lady, clearly he's communicating that, that they're unique, right? And that was Lady Pika, his mother, and Lady Poverty. He saw poverty as that which led him to, in his own words, the very heart of God, that innermost place of God where he would discover something that he uh, would never discover otherwise, right? And so certainly he embraced material poverty, but he saw his material poverty, his embrace of material poverty as a means by which to enter into uh, his spiritual poverty, those places in the spiritual life where he knew he needed more of a God, this kind of voluntary humility. Um, and so as we're talking about the Eucharist as this kind of sacrament of poverty, let us be mindful that a means by which we enter into this beautiful embrace we are called to, uh, we are called into, this embrace of the Eucharist, we do so by being mindful of having less. Less in the material good, yes, but as St. Francis of Assisi would remind us, also the need to let go of all these things that we hold on to, to detach ourselves from the material good and or even maybe power, prestige, and pleasure so, so as to be attached, more attached to God in the Eucharist. Um, I think this is very important to reflect upon. So just wanted to, to, to parachute that in <laughs> this, into this conversation. Well, and Father Vasek, because as I hear Joe say that, I'm you know I brought I'm brought into that point of disposition that for us and that call of being little, um, in, in these these pieces of knowing and trusting that we're forgiven to be little. Little ones usually have this incredible grace to receive in that receptivity. And we talked about that a little bit before the break. The importance of receptivity and our disposition before our Lord 
to receive, to receive that grace, to receive the grace and the faith, to recognize, as you refer to the centurion soldier, that grace of, I am not worthy, but I know you can. You know, it is so childlike in that regard of, okay, in the one sense, I'm not worthy. And, you know, I acknowledge my mistake. I acknowledge my sinfulness, but I know you can. <laughs> I know you, I still trust that you can, and I trust that you will. Right. And of course, then Jesus points to this centurion's faith as a model, as a model. And so, and I love how you said it. And it is the church then that puts these words on our lips, you know, just before we receive the Holy Eucharist of Lord, I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof, but only say your word and we shall be healed. I shall be healed. Um, can we pick up from there, Father Craig, in regards to just again, deepening our sense, okay, situating in the sacramental life and in particular uh, in, in the Eucharist, right? Above all, in His real presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, this, this understanding of poverty, both on the part of um, the human, but also on the part of God, um, is is exquisite. Um, so St. John, nah, I call him St. John, huh? Father John Harden, uh, who I love, and maybe he will be a saint someday, um, talks about the double humility of God, uh, with regard to the Eucharist, which comes back all the way to the beginning of what we started with. Uh, do you, we somehow believe that the uncontainable became contained in, in, in Christ. You know, the, un, the unseen Godhead now can be seen in the Incarnation. It's just exquisite. So this is what John Harden, Father John Harden calls the, the first humility of God. We could use condescension, you could use lots of different words, but uh, he, he humbled himself so that when you look upon Jesus, uh, what do you see? You see a man, <laughs> but what you don't see is also there, which is God. And we have to make an act of faith. This, the first humility of God is in the Incarnation. The second humility of God, he calls the Eucharist a double humility. The double humility, the second humility, is when the the unseen God uh, is not seen in the Incarnation, uh, so he hides his divinity in his humanity. And then in the giving of the Blessed Sacrament, not only did he hide his divinity in his humanity, now he's hiding his humanity as well. So first he hides his divinity, and then he hides his humanity, so that when you look upon Jesus, you don't see the divinity, but you see the humanity, but the divinity is there. So when you look upon the Eucharist, you don't see the divinity, nor do you see the humanity. You don't see either of them, but both are present, the humanity and the divinity. This is the double humility of God. And so the humility of humanity is to say, just to see, this is how my God has lowered himself, um, and so can I not lower myself with him, <laughs> you know, in simplicity and in trust and in faith? Um, and this is, I'll just say this, uh, St. Ambrose, when he talks about the sacramental life, says, ever since the ascension of Jesus, uh, he has now passed into his mystery. So where is Jesus right now? Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, glorified in the heavenlies. That's where he is, that's where he's always going to be, and uh, Romans and Hebrews both say that he's living to intercede for us for all time, right? So this is where he's at, this is what he's up to. But where do we encounter him on earth? We are not in heaven yet. Well, how do we encounter him on earth? Christ has passed into his mysteries. Because he's been glorified, he can be present wherever he wants, however he wants, and this is how he decides to be present to us, truly present in the sacramental life. Christ has passed into the mysteries. And, uh, and so he's there. He's really there. He's, he's humbled himself, and we need to humble ourselves. He's really there. Gentlemen, I think this is a, a great segue into Father Samuel Gonzalez. Uh, I just said Father Samuel. I meant Father Manuel. <laughs> uh, Saint Manuel Gonzalez, Father Manuel Gonzalez. Uh, Father Vasek, can you just tell us a little bit about, this is our saint of the day, saint of the week, um, mining liturgically, 
liturgically, Santa Day today, Blessed Miguel Perot. Um, so just to not be confused. No, it, we're not speaking, uh, not with, with the church on this. But for this episode in our conversation, uh, we're looking to St. Manuel Gonzalez. Father, can you share us a little bit about his life? Sure. Yeah, so Manuel, uh, Spaniard, uh, late 1800s, um, devout family, uh, goes into the seminary, ordained right around 1900. Um, but then this is where, I mean, this is where we pick up on the story. So that's, I mean, it's a brief bio. He, um, he, his first pastorate, his first, first parish assignment, uh, he goes to a town where the faith is just not present uh, at all. And so that's where he becomes this great catalyst. So anyways, background is just late 1800s. Uh, Spaniard uh, went to the seminary, devout family, and becomes a priest, and then he has this radical, <laughs> radical movement in his life. And and you know, it, let's talk a little bit about the, what what did he run into in the parish? Because I, I think, um, and I, I've talked about this with both of you guys, you know, at, at different times. But it's something you know, we see he walks into a parish that really lacks luster in so many ways. He discovers quickly that this this first uh, parish he's at in Spain. Uh, it's in a region where the people have really fallen away. It's not that they had never were introduced. It's they had fallen away from the faith, um, mm -hmm. where uh, just fallen away because there's just a stark contrast between uh, political lines, you know, different political alliances. Um, the priest he was replacing was particularly discouraged from the parish uh, experience he had, and he, uh, he was reassigned. But he, you know, so he's walking into even he could have run into situations where uh, the faithful who desired more uh, had their own frustrations of whether it's political frustrations, where, did, where does the church stand on things? And the priests we had before did this, this and that. Um, all things we see in our running rampant today, you know, and not to speak poor of priests per se, as much as people coming in just feeling very divided. Uh, people coming in having very strong opinions about what their church should be doing, what the church is doing, maybe not seeing the big picture, but assuming anyway. I mean, call it for what it is, um, but it is, you know, whether it's human condition, human nature, or just uh, sinful nature. <laughs> it's all running rampant, which adds to a spirit of confusion and a, a lack of looking to the church for the answers, whereas really sometimes look, the, the experience of the church has been a cause for frustration, you know, for some, whether it's authentic and true or not. We see all this. This is what he walked into, you guys. Um, and so can you, Father Vasek, do you mind sharing more about, so he comes in and he, he goes into the church. I don't know if it was for the first time he sees the churches in disrepair. The church is dirty. There's cobwebs everywhere in the church. The linens are dirty. They're kind of stained. And then he goes to the tabernacle and I think when you and I are talking, it's dirty, but there's cobwebs even in the tabernacle, and it's left exposed? Yes, it's a blessed sacrament. So when I first heard the story of St. Manuel, this is what I thought happened. I thought he went in, uh, and um, he went to the tabernacle area. Our Lord was in the tabernacle, but there was cobwebs around, indicating that nobody was visiting Jesus. But I, I misheard the story. The, I, <laughs> it's worse than that. Jesus is not even—the tabernacle has nothing in it. The tabernacle is empty— uh, the door on the tabernacle is open because the Blessed Sacrament is not present. Uh, they have totally abandoned Jesus. 
on the Tabernacle slowly abandoned at the parish. This is an act. This is a, an open. This is not a closed church. This is an open Catholic church. He goes into this cobweb inside the Tabernacle, around the Tabernacle, uh, because everybody has abandoned Jesus, and so like this, this pierced him to the heart, um, and. He realized in this moment, actually, that his life was going to be completely transformed. Uh, his mission was new, and he was receiving it from the heart of Jesus, uh, that he needed to be a priest who would adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament for those who wouldn't, so that he might be doing acts of reparation uh, for those who had abandoned Jesus. And he, if for those who have abandoned you, Lord, I want to be present to you. And uh, he lived this life of, of repar- reparational love before the Lord Jesus, and then he just went to everybody that could, and he said, uh, we have abandoned him. Uh, we have abandoned the tabernacle. And then he would make, he would make the application of, of using the tabernacle of the Church. The, the tabernacle of the Church, where the Blessed Sacrament resides, is the living presence of Christ in the Eucharist, in the, in the kind of the heart of the parish, right, in the tabernacle. Um, he would make the application to the human person, saying, what about your heart? Have you abandoned the tabernacle of your soul? And is Jesus enthroned there? I mean, so uh, you have cobwebs in your own heart, you know, these different things. Like, he makes this analogy, which becomes this profound uh, spiritual application, right? So these are just uh, some of the things. And so he's one of our patrons for the Eucharistic Revival because um, he he was willing to love Jesus for those who did not love Jesus. He was willing to believe in Jesus for those who would not believe in Jesus. He was willing to hope in Jesus for those who would not hope in Jesus. He was willing to adore Jesus for those who are not willing to adore Jesus. I mean, this is the call of the of the fat in Fatima, right? I believe, I hope, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you, and I ask pardon of you for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. Um, and so, this is Saint Manuel. He's a, he's phenomenal. He's so beautiful. He's such a gift uh, for priests, for bishops, for priests, for the faithful. So we got to come. We only have three minutes left, and I just, uh, Joe, can you give a couple of closing thoughts and remarks? And then Father Vasek, I'd like to come back to you for any closing thoughts and remarks. Uh, before the end of today's episode. Yeah, to just revisit the words of Father Craig from earlier about our faith being biblical, Mark, you know, I can't help but think about adoration as we are reflecting upon a saint, uh, this beautiful saint, and uh, for obvious reasons, you know, adoration, the the Latin adoratio, the mouth-to-mouth, this very intimate relationship that Jesus calls us into, it simply does not get any more intimate than the Eucharist. Time and again, if I had people come to my door, um, some Protestant faith say to me, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. And it is more personal than you can ever imagine if you don't know the Eucharist. So let's talk about the Eucharist because the Eucharist in the end truly is divine intimacy. And if we can truly reflect upon the beautiful gift that we have been given in the Eucharist to enter into this deeply, deeply unitive sacrament that Christ actually enters into a bridal union with our souls and he gives us the sacrament Uh, the Blessed Sacrament, that we might speak to Him in this intimate relationship every day in the Blessed Sacrament, that we would, that our local churches certainly would never be abandoned if we live in that community, because we might always be there. Um, if, If we can leave this time together just thinking about that critically and what it means for our faith, what it means for our salvation, what it means for for the church worldwide, right? Because in the end, and this would be my last point, This Eucharistic revival just isn't about our transformation. It's about the transformation of all of our local communities because Jesus Christ's unconditional love 
as it transforms our heart and does so that it might transform the people we are around, just not in our communities, but the church as a whole. And we need to be ever present to that today in 2022. Father Vasek, we got one minute of a closing comment, <laughs> if you could. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly what, uh, what Joe said, a living relationship with Jesus. He connected the dots, not only in his historical person, but in his gift to us in the Eucharist and his real presence. That's exactly spot on. And that we would be transformed by this reality. So we would go out to, to the extent that we are not going out. I think it is the extent that we don't believe we need to be going out and converting the world to this, uh, to this gospel, to the, to the truth of Jesus in the Eucharist. Father Vasek, can you just give us a final blessing before we sign off for this morning? Yes, may the Lord pour out his blessing upon you all, Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Awaken this morning. St. Manuel, pray for us. God bless you. That was a great show, great episode. Beautiful. Um, I think we made it through half of one of the points. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I know. I know. Uh, so my thing for those who will listen, they listen. Um, it, it, that kind of teaser, it's like, what do they say? You, you end uh, at the, and not necessarily at the peak, but to keep them wanting for more. And hopefully yeah. that's what that does. Yeah. So, yeah. You guys, thank you, Father Craig. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much for the time this morning. This has been Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Awaken comes to you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Want to listen to the show again? You can find the podcast any time of the day or night on our website at realpresenceradio.com awaken or on the Real Presence Radio app in the podcast section. Again, that's realpresenceradio.com awaken or in the free Real Presence Radio app. Be sure to join us again next time for more Awaken with Mark and Dr. Joe Hullcraft.